good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Hopefully I greeted most of you. Well, some of you. Some of you came in since uh, 11 o'clock, which we're glad that you made it. Uh, and um, we're in a series called Grace Too Good to be True. No, Grace is True. And if you missed some of the past weeks, uh, the audio versions of the teachings are on our website. I do want to review a couple of the teachings we We've done in the past few weeks. Uh, we started out the series week one with this topic. Salvation or connecting with God, establishing a relationship with God is not based on my performance, meaning what I do, what I don't do. That does not determine your relationship with God. <clears throat> that's kind of what we normally think. If I do more good things than bad things, but that's not how it happens. It's based on God's promise, promise of grace meaning that he wants to be in a relationship with you if you will just accept him. You ever, uh, when some of you that are married now, we, when you were single, you wanted to have a relationship with somebody and they didn't want to have a relationship with you? Uh, that's happened to me. Maybe nobody else had happened to me. But anyway, uh, God never does that. If you want to be in a relationship with God, God says, okay, if you accept my gift of salvation, you can enter in a relationship with me. It doesn't turn anybody away. So that's how we started the series. Then we talked about different aspects. We talked about guilt and some other things. Then two weeks ago, we talked about this. I'm not okay. You mess up. I mess up. We hurt people. People hurt us. That's not okay. But it can be okay because God's grace makes me okay. So our mistakes are covered by God's grace if we allow it. And so we shouldn't. We should feel okay about ourselves only because of God's grace. And last week, we talked about forgiveness. And we kind of turned this around. We're recipients of God's grace. How do we grace others or how do we forgive others? And some of us, maybe most of us, struggle with this sometimes. And we came to the conclusion, the more I feel forgiven, the more I understand and accept God's forgiveness of me, the more I want to forgive the more grateful I am and the more I just, uh, wow, God, you graced me, you've forgiven me. That's the least I can do is forgive others. So that was last week. Today we've got a new topic. It's called Restoring Grace. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about what happens to people that are in relationship with Jesus and then kind of just drift away, drift apart. And we've all had relationships where we've drifted apart. I've been out of high school for a long time. I have no relationships with any of the people I went to high school with now. Maybe you do, but I don't. Uh, We've drifted apart. All relationships have to be maintained. You have to put time and energy and effort into them. No relationships are static. They don't say, okay, my relationship's good. It's just going to stay good. It's going to either get better or it's going to get worse as we maintain it or neglect it. This happens in our our earthly relationships uh, with our spouses, our parents, our children, our friends. It also happens in our relationship with God. It is not stagnant. We're either drawing closer to God, our relationship's getting better with God, or we're drifting away from God and relationship's not as good. I believe all of us know this experience if you're a Jesus follower. If you're not, you understand it in regular relationships. And some of the stuff we'll talk about will help you in those relationships. The good news is, if you've been a Jesus follower, (laughs) 
God's restoring grace is always available. <clears throat> Just as it was originally when God said, I want a relationship with you, he wants to continue that relationship with you and I. <coughs> so I want to start with why. Why do Jesus' followers stop following? Why do we drift away? Why is my relationship with God not as strong now as it once was? <clears throat> now we're going to use Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, one of his three closest friends on earth, as an example of someone that drifted away. And the first reason is this, overconfidence, overconfidence. In our case, it would be, okay, I got this Christianity thing down, I got this uh, religion thing down, I can just kind of go ahead and do it without God's help. And the problem comes, whenever you use the word never, I see it sometimes with people that the parents have some negative qualities that they don't like, and, and they'll say, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to raise my voice to my kids, or I'm never going to become a, uh, a drunk, or I'm never going to, you know, have to file bankruptcy, whatever it might be. And don't you know it? Often, those, what those people said they'll never do is exactly what they do. And a lot of alcoholics, for example, are al- uh, children of alcoholics. So be careful when you use the word never. Because <clears throat> you and I may be just committing ourselves to doing those things. So our relationships uh, with, with other people, our relationships with God, you know, I would never stop following Jesus. I would never, you know, just let my Christianity drift. And then... It happens to us. Now, in Peter's case, last a few hours of Jesus' life, he's with his disciples in what we call the upper room. They're celebrating a big holiday for Jewish people, the Passover. And Jesus is actually changing the meaning of that. We, we call it communion of the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> in the midst of that, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And it just shocks them all. These 12 disciples have been following him for three and a half years. And Jesus says, one of you is going to deny me. One of you is going to betray me. And they're all looking around. Is it me? Is it him? Is it you? Who's who's it going to be? So they're all not sure. Because we know now it was Judas. But Peter speaks up. Peter was often the one that spoke up first. And Peter said, I don't know about the other 11 guys. They all might betray you. They may all deny you. But I would never do it. And what's Jesus telling? <laughs> before the night's over, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, three times. Overconfidence caused Peter and causes us sometimes to stop following. <clears throat> Another reason is exhaustion or <laughs> even laziness sometimes. We slack off. We slack off in those those good habits, you know, we don't have time for our quiet time, uh, uh, church becomes, church attendance or small group becomes less important, etc. Peter's case, <clears throat> after the, the supper, Jesus takes three disciples, Peter, James, and John, he goes off into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And most of us know that prayer, you know, God, for some way I can just avoid going to the cross, you know, what is it? And of course, God says, no, 
You can't get out of it. So he tells his, these three guys, you stay here, watch and pray. And Jesus goes off and prays. A little while later, he comes back, and what's Peter and the other guys doing? They're sleeping. And he says, couldn't you just pray and watch for one hour? Jesus goes off again. He comes back. What are they doing? Falling asleep. And we, uh, we get tired in our relationships. We all take time and energy and effort, <clears throat> and we get tired, and we slack off. Um, I guess because we're tired, but my wife and I got to go away a couple days this week, and that was really great. We got to be refreshed. But the week before was Bible school week, as most of you know, and that is exhausting. Do we have much time and energy to put in our relationship? <laughs> no. Now, our relationship was fine last week, but we needed time, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, how to, to refresh. <clears throat> Same thing with a relationship with God. Uh, you know, it, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort. It's easy to get tired. You know, I wake up in the morning, and I normally do my quiet time. I just need to sleep and uh, whatever. Experts tell us there are four situations where we're exceptionally susceptible, that's hard to say, <laughs> uh, to temptation. And they use this acrostic called HALT. So when you're in one of these situations, the best thing to do is do nothing. It means to stop. Because most likely you're going to do something that you don't want to do. Now, hunger is an easy one to, to think about, isn't it? I always say, don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry. You'll buy a lot more <laughs> groceries than you need. And maybe some stuff you shouldn't, right? When you're angry. When you, we get angry, we say things we wish we hadn't said. We've all done that too, haven't we? Uh, so if we would just stop and shut our mouths, we wouldn't say those things. Lonely. When we get lonely, we may hook up with people we shouldn't hook up with. We might go look at something we shouldn't look at. We might read something we shouldn't read because we're lonely. <clears throat> then, of course, when you're tired, same thing. You're more susceptible. Now, the problem comes in this. How do you recharge? Of course, if you're hungry, uh, you eat something. But we get tired in three different ways. We get emotionally tired. We get physically tired, and we get spiritually tired. The problem is when we get tired, we normally don't distinguish between the three. And I'm tired, so what am I going to do? I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to sleep, and that's going to recharge me. Now, physically, it will recharge you. But have you ever had a good night's sleep and woke up still tired? I have. I'm not physically tired. What am I? I'm either emotionally tired and or spiritually tired. And one of the keys for you and I is to figure out how to recharge emotionally and recharge spiritually as well as physically. Now, emotionally, one of the things you can do is go away. We call it a, get a couple days for getaway, go on vacation. But we need to find ways to recharge every day. I'm an introvert. I need time by myself. My wife is an extrovert. She needs time to party. All right? That recharges her. And most of you know my wife. You understand that. <coughs> The same thing spiritually. You need to figure out how to recharge. And it's not that complicated. You do need to spend the time, quiet time. Spend time in, with your Bible and praying. You need to spend time worshiping with other people. You need to spend time in your small group doing life together. So when we get tired in these different aspects of our lives, we need to recharge. 
But that's one reason we stop following Jesus. We get tired, uh, exhausted. Another reason we stop following is peer pressure. Fear of what other people may think. In Peter's case, they came and arrested Jesus. All the disciples ran away except for who? Peter. Now we've got to give him kudos for, for hanging around, but the Bible uses an interesting word. He says that Peter followed at a distance. So he wanted to make sure that he wasn't connected with Jesus, but he wanted to stay close enough to see what was going to happen to Jesus. And we do that in our personal relationship sometimes. We don't let the other person in. We keep them at a distance. There might be some issue between us. There might be some outside issue. And the relationship suffers because we keep people at arm's length, at a distance. Same thing happens with our relationship with God. Sometimes, I don't know why we do this, but sometimes we're just not honest with God. We just kind of fake, try and fake it with God like he doesn't know better, <laughs> and, and he does. And there's the old adage, if being a Jesus follower or a, a Christian became illegal, and it may, be, may happen someday, would there be enough evidence to convict you if you went on trial? So we sometimes try and keep our Christianity out of people's knowledge. Like, for example, they invite you to do something on Sunday morning and say, no, I'm busy. You don't say why you're busy, but you're just busy. No, no, no. On Sunday morning, I go to church. Uh, being away, we were eating out a couple times this week. And we like to pray when we eat out, and hopefully you do that. You don't have to be ostentatious about it. Not do it out loud, for example, in the restaurant. Everybody, bow your heads. We're praying. But, you know, not ashamed that you're a believer. And you take a moment to thank God for the food and the person that served you and the person that fixed it, etc. There are no, quote, unquote, secret agents in God's army. He doesn't need it. He doesn't want secret agents. But peer pressure uh, causes sometimes to stop following. And lastly, convenience. Convenience. Sometimes it's inconvenient. As a pastor, it kind of drives me crazy that people schedule God around their schedule. They schedule church around their schedule. They schedule, <laughs> they schedule their small group or their ministry around their schedule, meaning their schedule is first and that comes second. And that's what happens. Well, it's inconvenient for me to be in a small group, all right? Is that a good reason not to be in a small group? Where's Justin? Is he in here? Not a good reason, right? That should be a priority. Quiet time with God. Uh, worship, which you're all here this morning. As a pastor, I've seen this pattern happen. Usually it starts with people stop giving. Now, we, if you're a first-timer, new person, we, we tell you not to give. But a regular tender needs to give, financially give. It costs money to, for all this to happen, right? And it's important in your relationship with God because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart. And so that's the first sign that people's heart is going away from God is so they, they stop giving. And that quiet time, uh, that, that, that prayer time kind of gradually drifts away. And then eventually church attendance. Um, 
become sporadic, and then we all know people that eventually just disappear. You don't see them anymore. Uh, <clears throat> with uh, our relationships, we can do the same thing. We can kind of not schedule time for our spouse, for example. My wife and I, fortunately, were able to schedule some, some couple time this week. Really important. Uh, neglecting your kids, neglecting your parents, etc. Who are the most miserable people? It's not people that are not Jesus followers. And it's not people that are faithful Jesus followers. The most miserable people are the people that were once Jesus followers that are not following. And the the reality is you can't enjoy not following and you can't enjoy following because you're in between. So what happens to people? What happens to you and I? Because it's happened to all of us if you're a Jesus follower. If you're not, we're glad you're here checking us out. What happens when we drift away? What does God do? How does God respond? We're going to look at a passage of Scripture, part of the Bible, a guy named Paul wrote. He was a guy that was very religious, but he was of the Jewish faith, and he persecuted Christianity. He had this dramatic transformation and became a Jesus follower, started some churches, and he wrote some letters to churches. We're going to look at the one he wrote to church in Rome. It's probably the the high point of of Paul's writing. And we're going to look at the chapter in Romans. It's probably the high point of Romans. So some people may debate that. But if you only could have one part of the Bible, Romans chapter 8 may be the part (laughs) that you'd want to keep. So we're going to look at that to try and answer that question. How does God respond? So beginning in verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who have become Jesus' followers. Now, that word no is a very strong word in the original language, the Greek. It means no, 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 never, never, not in a million years, ever. Is there going to be any condemnation once you come in Christ Jesus? So you you and I do not need to fear that God's going to reject us because we've kind of drifted away from him. It won't happen. It can't happen. It can never happen. Does that mean there's not going to be any consequences? Certainly there's going to be consequences. One of the biggest consequences is that when we drift away from God, our relationships suffer. Uh, the joy is gone, just like in any other relationship. When you drift apart, the joy, enjoyment of that relationship suffers, doesn't it? The other thing to keep in mind here is it mean there's no condemnation for everybody? Does just everybody and anybody? No, you have to become a Jesus follower for there to be no condemnation. If you're not a Jesus follower, unfortunately, you are condemned. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. So then it goes on. <clears throat> Once you got that, understand, there's no condemnation. He's going to give us some explanation. And because you belong to him, meaning Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So you're set free from condemnation. Uh, it's interesting in the news, uh, one of the state of Connecticut uh, said it was uh, unconstitutional for them to execute anybody. So there's a bunch of people on death row that they say are not going to be executed now and they're just going to live out their life in prison. <clears throat> the reality is everybody who ever ever was born is born on death row, (laughs) right? 
We're all going to die. And we're all, once we sin, we're separated from God. That's what death means, separation. But once we become a Jesus follower, we're no longer on death row. In fact, we're no longer in prison. We are freed. Really important word. So then Paul goes on to talk about the law because as a Jew, that was really important. That's how you connected with God, by keeping the rules, right? The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. The problem with having to follow all the rules is nobody follows all the rules, right? So that's not going to connect us with God. So we're disconnected from God. So God did what the law could not do. So through the law, me doing everything right, I couldn't do everything right, so I couldn't get up to God. So God said, since you can't come up to me, I'm going to come down to you, as amazing as that is. So he sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. So Jesus' body was just like yours and mine. No difference. He was fully human being. That's going to be important in a few minutes. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. So how could, that be, how could that control be ended? By giving your son as a sacrifice for our sins. It's not like just gosh, God just says, okay, it's okay, it doesn't matter what you've done. I'm going to let you off the hook. No, God is a just God and payment had to be paid, made. And the payment was paid by Jesus. So you and I didn't have to pay. That's uh, so what he says, I think, in the next verse. He did this so that the just requirements of the law, wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. There's got to be a death fully satisfied for us. So either Jesus' death was adequate to take care of your sins and mine, or it wasn't. Now Paul's saying it fully satisfies it. There's nothing else needed. Uh, for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. So we stepped across the line, we become a Jesus follower. <clears throat> Not that we don't still struggle with sin. And we're going to skip down a few verses. Verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, once you're in God's family, you're, we're all brothers and sisters, you have no obligation you now have no ought to to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Now, people aren't Jesus followers. Uh, they're on death row. They are still slaves. They're not free. They don't really have the power. I mean, they can stop doing something, but they don't have the power to not do wrong thing. They don't. They, they don't. As Jesus followers, we do. We have an option. And he goes on, for if you keep on following it, your sinful nature, you'll die. So if you never step across that line, that's, you know, you're going to be separated from God, not only here on earth, but forever. But if through the power of the Spirit, you turn from it, we use the word sometimes repent, repent means to turn. So I'm stopped from following my sinful nature to following Jesus, all right? That's a decision Everyone has to make. That's when you step across the line. It says, then you'll live. Then you'll be in relationship with God. Not only here on earth, but for eternity. And then he says in the next verse, 
He describes the relationship. You are led by the Spirit of God. You are children of God. You've entered into this relationship. God's your, your father. We're one of his children, and we're each other's brothers and sisters. Now, as I said, Romans chapter 8 is like the high, one of the high points of, of the whole Bible. Came across a, a, a really good, I thought, uh, summation of this chapter. So, if you'll watch, please. Really important principle there. What's more important, what you feel or what you know? I might not feel married, but I know I'm married, right? And the more I know I'm married, the more I feel married. Same thing with our relationship with God or any other relationship. What's important is what you know. That's why I spend a half hour every Sunday doing what? Teaching. So we all help hopefully know more about that relationship to the God that loves us. So let's sum up what we talked about this morning this way. No matter how far you step away from God, how far you've drifted, whether it's a little bit or a lot, one big thing or lots of little things, it's always one step back to God. Doesn't matter how far I go away from God, all I have to do is turn around and God's right there. Really, really important principle because sometimes we think we've gone too far, we've done something too bad. So quickly we're going to cover five reasons God doesn't reject us when we drift away. Number one, His love is unconditional. We talk about this almost every week in this series. It's hard for us to comprehend because ours is conditional. But God will not ever stop loving you. There's nothing you and I can do to make him say, oh, all right, I'm finished with you. Can't happen because it's unconditional. His compassion never ends, ever. Secondly, salvation isn't based on performance. We started off talking about that this morning. I don't enter into a relationship with God because of what I do or don't do. It's because of His grace. I accept that gift. So, consequently, that relationship is not sustained by what I do or don't do. It's not based on my performance. So, if it's not based on my performance, I can't do anything for God to say, okay, you're out of here. Third reason Jesus had already taken the punishment. We've got a double jeopardy law in our country. That means if there's been a crime and somebody's been tried and convicted for that crime, even if I did it, I'm not going to go on trial for that crime. Somebody's already been tried and convicted and punished. You're not going to punish two people for the same crime. So since Jesus was punished for my sins, my crimes, I can't be punished. Can't happen. I often ask people, which sins did Jesus die for? (laughs) You got certain ones he died for and certain ones he didn't? That drifting away one he didn't die for? He died for them all. Now the comeback I get is, well, then I can do anything I want. I can sleep around, I can cheat on my wife, spouse, I can lie, steal, whatever. The reality is that you can, but you you won't want to. The Spirit of God gives you the want to. Now, we still do some of those things. But as I said, 
we're going to be miserable because the Spirit of God is going to give you the want to and you're not doing it. It's also important for me to explain to you there's a difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment looks backwards. It's, it's you know, justice for something that you and I did wrong. It's usually out of anger. God did that to Jesus. He will not do that for you and I, but he will discipline us. As you parents, those you love, you discipline. God says the same thing. Discipline is forward-looking. It's based on love, and it's about making, uh, helping you grow, helping you mature. <clears throat> my kids, well, let me put it this way. If, if my, one of my kids and, and some neighbor's kid is out playing, and, and they both do something wrong, do I discipline them both? No, I bring my kid in and I discipline my child. The other parent's responsible for disciplining the other child. So if you're a child of God, you can't get away with it, so to speak. He won't punish you, but he will discipline you. And if you're off doing anything and everything and you don't experience a discipline of God, then most likely you're not a child of God. That's one way you can, you can tell if you're in the family. Fourthly, <clears throat> Jesus understands human weakness. Remember I said he, Paul wrote that he had a body just like yours and mine. So he's experienced all the same temptations. Was Jesus hungry? Yeah, he started off his ministry 40 days fasting. Uh, was Jesus ever angry? angry? Yes, he was. He threw those money changers out of the temple. That's one, one case when he was angry. Was he ever lonely? I think the loneliest person that ever lived was Jesus on a cross. Because he said, Father, even you've forsaken me. <clears throat> was he ever tired? Yeah, Jesus got tired. So he understands. He's sympathetic. More than sympathy, he's empathetic. He's experienced everything you and I have. So he understands. Yeah, I can understand why you messed up there. You were tired. I can understand why you messed up there. You were lonely. He understands. And fifthly, I think it's lastly, God doesn't hold a, doesn't hold a grudge. He, he doesn't get mad. He doesn't get angry with you. He doesn't get disappointed in you. He just does it. Again, his love is unconditional. Now, as I finish up this morning, it's important to help, help you understand this by using these two terms, fellowship and relationship. Fellowship is your current status. Either with your spouse, your kids, or with God. It might be good. It may not be so good. That's your current status. Relationship is permanent position. I've got four kids. Uh, let's see, the oldest is what? I don't know, 37 years old or whatever. <laughs> and so for 37 years I've been his parent, and my wife's been his parent, and as long as we live, he will be our child, right? It's permanent. Our relationship with him may be good or bad, but the, the, the position never changes. So when you and I drift from God, which do we lose? Well, the relationship is permanent. I'm a child of God. I'm, once I'm a child of God, I'm always a child of God. That doesn't change. What changes? Our fellowship. And so when we drift, that's why we lose our joy. That's why we lose our effectiveness. God can't use us. So consequently... 
what needs to be restored? God's restoring grace, not the relationship, but the fellowship. And last question, how can our fellowship, not a relationship, be restored? It's by returning. No matter how many steps we've gone away from God, it's only one step back. It's easy for some of us to think, is to think I've gone too far. Well, let's go back to Peter as we finish up. First Easter morning, three ladies go to the, the tomb. It's empty. And <clears throat> there's a man there. It looks like an angel. And he says to these three ladies, go tell his disciples, meaning Jesus' disciples, that he's risen. And Peter. Now, wasn't Peter one of the disciples? So why did he say, and Peter? Because Peter didn't feel worthy to be a disciple anymore, right? After he denied him three times. Especially after he said he would never do it. So the angel wanted to make sure that Peter understood that he hadn't gone too far, that he still loved him, he still included him, he still considered him uh, part of the family. And then later, Peter's fishing, and he sees Jesus on the shore, and he can't wait to row in, so he jumps in and swims to the shore, and they have this little conversation. And Jesus asked Peter, uh, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, 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 Jesus, I love you. He said, Peter. Do you really love me? He said, yes, I I really love you. Peter, are you absolutely sure that you love me? And Peter's a little perturbed now. He's asked him three times. He said, yes, absolutely, I love you. Why three times? I think it was an opportunity for Peter to say three times. We call this a positive confession. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you, as he denied him three times. Peter didn't go too far. You and I can't go too far. As we said earlier, no matter how far you've stepped away from God, it's always only one step back. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your restoring grace, because we all slip up, we all drift away. We thank you that restoring grace also applies to our relationships here on earth, that you can restore them through your spirit. And God, we pray for anyone here that's <clears throat> never stepped across the line, never decided to become a Jesus follower. Today would be the day that accept that gift, that they'd be set free, they'd be empowered, they'd have this relationship with you. You got an, a God of unconditional love that will never reject them, never Uh, say, no, I don't want anything else to to do with you. God, we pray for those folks. Today would be the day to step across the line. I pray for those who are in a state of slipping away this morning, that they would halt (laughs) and that they would return and allow that that relationship to be restored. Again, all because of your grace, God. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I don't know what situation you're in this morning, but I just want to be sure you understand that God wants to start a relationship with you. And if you're in a relationship, he wants that to be a growing, dynamic, empowered relationship. If we can help in any way, please let us know. If you made any any special decisions today, please let us know that. You can put it on your uh, connection card. Thank you.